0: Don't you love that music? Oh, it's coming, it's coming. Hey, we're glad you're here. I want to say that as well. If you're watching online, we're, uh, we're glad that you're with us. Trust that God's going to speak through the airwaves and get to you. Uh, for everybody who's here, today is the day I've been looking forward to. Been looking forward to the opportunity to dive into this study called Experiencing God. Um, it's a series that's going to last a long time. It's going to last uh, the, about 12 weeks, 13 weeks, take us all the way into December, and um, and it's it has the ability to really change your life, to change the way that you think about God, the way that you see Him working, the way that you see what He's doing around you, and we're jazzed about that. The messages each week are going to coordinate with workbooks that you can get. The workbooks look like this. Say thanks, Fanna. Uh, yeah. um, uh, if you haven't gotten one yet, we have a limited number that are out at the Connect Kiosk. Uh, you can get them today. They're uh, $25 a piece. We're not making any money on that. But the messages are designed to go along with the work that you do in the workbook and the time that you have in your life group. Um, If you don't have a life group, can you still be a part of this and do it? Absolutely, you can. Just get the workbook and find somebody to go through it with. Um, It's a a great tool. Uh, Right now, if you want to, I I see some folks doing it right now. If you want to go ahead and go on um, Amazon right now and order it, have it sent to your house, you can do that. Um, uh, It's going to be roughly in that same price range depending on where you go and whether you have to pay shipping, all that kind of stuff. can, can you, if you don't do a life group, if you don't have the workbook, are you still going to be able to benefit from this series? The answer to that's yes, because the messages are not going to duplicate what's going on in the book. They're going to take a thought or two that is involved in that particular week's study, um, develop that, get you thinking about that, and, and have God speak to you in that area, um, but it won't duplicate what you're doing. It's important that, that you take the time to do the workbook through the week and, um, and dive in that way. But if you do that, if you only come on Sunday morning, it's gonna be kind of like, I think, it's gonna be kind of like going into your favorite restaurant, sitting down and having a glass of water. And you smell the food, you smell that steak, can you smell it right now? You hear the fajitas sizzling, and you're there with your water. You're enjoying the ambience. You're enjoying the experience, but it's not the same thing as if you dive in and eat and let those nutrients get into you. It's not the same thing as if you're chewing up that food, and it's, and it's working in your body. I really, really want to encourage you to do the workbook. Really want to encourage you to have some people around you, a life group, someone that you can do that with, because it will help you experience God in a way like you never have before. Um, uh, to, set the, to set the stage for this series, for the 12 weeks, I want to take some time just as kind of a foundational kind of thing um, to lay the groundwork for this series, because experiencing God, we all want to experience God um, Right, yes, shake your heads. Yes, we all want to experience God. Uh, We all want that. But what's it take to be in the right frame of mind for God to speak to us and God to open up our minds to things that we haven't thought about before? Um, I've got four foundational questions. These questions are not really the message today. They're the foundation for experiencing God, okay? Um, Here's the first question. Do you believe that God loves you deeply, Today, Do you believe that God loves you deeply today? It was fun. It's just fun to see how the Holy Spirit works through, through the songs that we sing in worship uh, because that was a theme that was there so clearly. When I was growing up, I remember, I remember my parents, particularly my dad, saying often, you know what? God loves me warts and all. God loves me warts and all. That was a phrase that he said often. What was he saying when he said that? He was saying that God's love is not dependent upon his ability to perform, to do the right thing, to always make the right decision. The same thing is true for us. God loves us. Um, Even with all of our imperfections, all those things that we think would disqualify us from his love, they don't matter. God still loves us. We we talked last week about confessing our sins to one another, and about how scary that is to open up and share with somebody the stuff that you're struggling with at its deepest level. Um, we somehow believe we believe you know what if if they know the worst stuff about me, they won't like me. They'll distance themselves from me. They won't have anything to do with me. Not so with God. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows your history. He knows what you've done in the past. He knows those things that you think are too big for him to forgive, and he loves you anyways. Um, Can God love me in spite of what I've done, in spite of what I did in college, in spite of what I did at work, in spite of what I've done in my marriage or my marriages? Can God still love me I wanna tell you this morning that he can and he does. The Bible tells us that over and over. Satan whispers in our ear and he says, in a, in a place like this, he said, he's saying to you right now, yes, yes, I know that's true. I know that's true for that person who's two pews in front of you. I know that's true for the people who are beside you or the people who are behind you. I know that it's not true for you. That's what Satan says. And it's not true. It's a lie. God loves you deeply with all of his being. He sees all of your sin and he still loves you. Warts and all. The question is not whether God does that. The question is whether you believe that or not. Deep inside, do you believe that God loves you deeply today right now second question is this and that's fundamental to this series is this do you believe that God is actively working today not just do you think that God cares about what's going on in the world not just oh does God care about who gets elected to government positions oh not just does does God care about who governs us does God care about all the big stuff But do you believe that God is actively working today? Do you believe that he is working in St. John's, and Langsburg, in Portland, in Eagle, in in Lansing, in DeWitt? Do you believe that God is actively working in your place of business, in the community groups that you're a part of, in, in the neighborhood where you live? Do you think that God is actively working in the lives of people in that he is engaged and active in every aspect of of their lives? It's easy for us to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I've accepted Jesus as my savior. I believe that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And yet at the same time, live as though God doesn't really care about anything that happens in your life from noon on Sunday until the next Sunday when you come to church. One, one author has described that as Christian atheism. Do you really believe that God is actively working in your life today? Do you think that he's actively working in the world around you? The third question that's foundational to this study is this. Do you believe that God has a, speci- a specific desire for how you fit into his plan? Does God care specifically about you? The question is not... What's God's will for my life? That's a question that we often ask. But does God have specific ways that he wants you to be engaged in his plan for the world? Does God have things that won't get done if you don't do them? Are there people that he wants you to show love to on his behalf? Are there people in your sphere of influence that he wants you to demonstrate his nature his justice, his compassion, to bring hope to hopeless people? Do you believe that God has placed you or has allowed you to be placed in environments so that you, with your strengths, with your weaknesses, can be used by him to change the eternal destiny of people? Do you believe that? Does God wanna use you Not me as the pastor, not your life group leader, not the person who you listen to their podcast during the week. Does God want to use you to accomplish his will here on earth to help people experience new life in Jesus? Do you believe that God has a specific specific desire for how you fit in his plan? The last question is this. Again, foundational questions for this series to make us be open to God speaking to us through this Experiencing God series. Are you willing to give God control of your life? Or do you want to be in control? Do you have to be in control? The more I counsel, the more I reflect on my own life, the more convinced I am that as much as I want God in my life I want to be in control. I want to know what the end result of my decisions are going to be. I want to make sure that I'm able to cover all the bases and do what I want. I do want God to be in charge. But I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Do you you sense that tension? I want to live a life fully devoted to Jesus. But I still want to spend my money on things that I think are important. And I don't want to be inconvenienced in my schedule, in my agenda on a daily basis. So a critical question for us to wrestle with as we enter this study is this. Who's going to be in control? Because you can't have it both ways. If God is in control, you're not. When God leads, are you going to follow When God speaks, are you going to listen? When God prompts, are you going to take action? Are you willing to give God control of your life? Or do you want to be in control? Do you have to be in control? Those four questions, I think, are critical. Because otherwise, it's very easy for us to just simply go through this process, get head knowledge, go write out the answers in the workbook, have great conversations, and never, ever really change. Because the issue is us. We've got to come to grips with whether or not we want God. We, whether we want to experience God more than anything else. Um, if you answer if you the, those four questions one way. Get ready for 13 weeks that are going to change your life. It, it really is going to dramatically change the way that you see the world. You will experience God in a completely new dimension. If you answer them in a different way, you're going to hear a lot of good preaching. You're going to be challenged to think about some important things, but you're not going to be much different when the series ends. God will continue his providential and maybe even his miraculous work all around you, but you won't be any more aware of it than you are right now. So that's the intro to the series, okay? That's the foundation, and I'm ready to to dive into the message. Let me, before I really kind of jump into the message, which is going to be a little bit briefer than normal, okay, relax, there we go. Um, uh, Let let me just say this, because because all of this is kind of foundation, I'm going to talk about some concepts that are all going to point to a scripture at the end. It's a different way than I typically preach but everything is going to point to a scripture at the end that brings everything together, all right? So hang on for the ride. Here we go. Um, Beginnings, beginnings matter in our lives, right? Beginnings in a relationship matter. Some of you have experienced a relationship where you saw this person across a crowded room and it was like love at first sight. Oh, this is the best thing ever. Some of you have relationships with people in your life that are just the opposite, you met someone, and you were just buttonheads all the time. And then, over time, you began to really appreciate each other. Really began to appreciate each other, and everything changed. Some of you started as rivals with good friends, but as you worked together, it was like, oh yeah, our lives are intertwined. Uh, A few generations ago, there was a movie that was universally loved. uh, It it was known um, about 10 years after its release in theaters, it was uh, released to television. And for the next 20 years in a row, it played every year on TV through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, One of the most famous songs from that movie featured Julie Andrews singing, Let's Start at the Very Beginning." A very good place to start. When you read, you begin with? When you sing, you begin with? Do, do re, re, mi. Uh, the first three notes just happen to be do, re, mi. Let's start at the very beginning. Where, where, what's the beginning of your story? Where does that start? If somebody were to say to you, or I, and I thought about this, if, if you were to talk to the person on your left or your right and, and say, I'm going to tell you just in a couple of minutes the story of my life, where would you start? Um, would it start with your birth? Would it start with your first job? Would it start with your marriage or with your parents, with your grandparents? It's funny that Kerry talked about his family, his extended family at communion time, because when I talk about my family history, what has shaped my life, what has impacted who I am, I typically start with my grandparents with Floyd and Blanche Rubel, with Harold and Beatrice Steele. They, they impacted my life in a huge way. If I wanna go back farther than that, I can go back to the early 1800s when Rubels moved from, the, from Virginia to Southern Ohio. And that shaped who I am. If I wanna go really, really deep, I can go back into the late 1500s when Rubels came from Bavaria over into this new world to, to start their lives here. Is that where my story starts? Or does it begin with God? God said to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, bef- uh, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now here's the question. Was that only true about Jeremiah? Or is that true about us as well? Even before what Jeremiah, what God describes in the book of Jeremiah, I would maintain that our story goes all the way back to the beginning of the creation of the world. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Our story, my story, your story, I believe starts with God. Um, then with the creation of the world and the creation of man. And then the entrance of sin into the world. Once sin became a reality, the world was broken in such a way that only God could fix it. That's the start of our story. Our story begins in the beginning. It begins with the beginning. Um, If your story doesn't begin with the beginning, if you don't buy that, and it's okay if you don't buy that. But understand that if, you, that, that if that's not where your story starts, you believe that you're in control, that you're in control of your life. Either that or that everything is random and that your life doesn't matter much. Um, if I can add just a couple of questions to those first four questions I mentioned in the foundation, um, this, th- this is what they would be. Do you believe that the world is so broken that only God can fix it? Do you believe that the world is so broken that only God can fix it? And a second question that's more personal. Do you believe that your world is so broken that only God can fix it? Do you think that you have the ability to make it right? Or does it all depend on God? Back in 2010, I had the opportunity to go and visit a tribal people um, with missionaries from the church that we served at that point in time. It was tribal people in the mountains of Mexico. It was probably the most remote place that I've ever been. I flew into Mazatlan, um, traveled five, six, seven hours from Mazatlan to this little tiny town of about 10,000 people that had electricity and it had a little hotel. And from there, we drove seven hours up a mountain, down a mountain, up a mountain again to, a, to an elevation about 7,000 feet to a tribal group of about 300 people. There were no supplies except in that town of 10,000. So everything that we needed, that we had to have to do the work while we were there, we had to take in with us. Water, um, anything that needed electricity, we had to take generators, all of those things. As we talked, as I talked to the missionaries about the challenges that are involved in taking the gospel to an unreached people group, um, they explained how critical it was to learn the language of the people group, the heart language of them, And to understand their traditions, their past, their history. Because they had to start to begin to teach the gospel with a God who's the most powerful God that created the world and the entrance of sin in the world. Otherwise, if they just showed the Jesus film, people would respond to the Jesus film. But Jesus would just be one more part in their perspective on life and religion and relating to God. It had to go back to the beginning to say that there was this God who made the world, who loved his creation so much that he wanted to be in relationship with them. And then sin came in and blew all that up. That's the beginning. That's where our story starts. When I met the Shantares, our missionaries to Papua New Guinea, Tim shared the exact same concept. It's why they have invested so much time with the Yembe people. The only way to tell the story of Jesus is to start at the very beginning with God who made a perfect world that was ruined by sin. Your story has to start with the beginning. From, From that point, we begin to get a clear understanding of a living God in a sinful world. And we recognize that everything in our relationship with God rises and falls on Jesus and scripture. Everything in our relationship with God, it depends not on our experience, but it rises and falls on Jesus and scripture. If there really is a God, if he really is real, and he made us, and he is good, and he loves us, he would have to create a way for us to know him. He would have to if he was good he couldn't be good and unapproachable he couldn't be good and not care about what happened to his creation so he would have to create a way for us to be in relationship with him to know him in one of two ways he would either have to come down and live among us and and uh, and share himself with us or he would have to give it to uh, he would have to communicate with us through some kind of written word um The cool thing is that God has done both, right? Jesus coming to earth is so that we can understand who God is. Scripture has been given to us so that we can know God's nature and how to have a relationship with us. Everything rises and falls with Jesus and scripture. Jesus was either a despicable liar who said that he was God when he knew that he wasn't or He was crazy as a loon because he claimed to be God and he knew that he wasn't. Or he was who he said he was. He was Lord of all creation. And scripture, the Bible, when it was originally written, was either inspired and we can trust its authority and its accuracy, or it's a fabrication of man. It's all one giant hoax. It can't be anything else. It either is from God or it's not. Everything rises and falls on Jesus and scripture. If Jesus and scripture are true, there's forgiveness and hope and joy and life after death. If it's not true, our life and our world is pretty hopeless because none of what we think or do really matters at all. Scripture and Jesus are the key But you've got to decide that, really wrestle with that for yourself. uh, You either buy that or you're not. Your parents, your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, your pastor can't make that choice for you. That's something that you come to grips with on your own. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's taking them out of the 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 hot summer in Jerusalem. He's taking them to a cool place called Caesarea Philippi. When I say cool, I'm not just cool like oh, this is a cool place. It was a a place that was cool. That um, it was the temperature was cooler. There was a lot of water there. Jesus, as he's uh, there in Caesarea Philippi, he asks his disciples, "Who do people say the Son of Man is?" And they reply, "Some say, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets." And Jesus said, Who do you say I am? What do you think? What do you think? And Peter answered, You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the one who came to make things right for us with God, the Son of the living God. Critical question Who do you believe Jesus is? Do you believe the Bible is the authority for your life? If we're serious about experiencing God in a tangible way that's life transforming, we've got to understand that God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be manipulated. Have you ever met a manipulator? Are you a manipulator? The the kind of person who tries to get others to do what they want using whatever means they can think of. When I was in high school, I had a girlfriend that I dated for about a year and a half. And the time came for me to say, you know what? This relationship's not going anyplace. And we went to a park to have this conversation. And I said, hey, um, there's no future in this. We need to break up. She didn't want to break up. And it got ugly. It got ugly. In a, in a relatively short period of time, we, uh, she went through tears. She went through anger. She went through a logic based response to say it doesn't make any sense for us to break up. Um, She tried to shame me. She tried to talk about the influence and the impact that our breakup would have on her friends. She tried to guilt me. She gave me an ultimatum. She tried to do everything that she could to manipulate me back into that relationship, continuing to continue. Do you know a manipulator? Um, manipulators work to control information so that they can get their way or make themselves look better. Manipulation is never at the center of a healthy relationship. Maybe this is a conversation for you to have with your spouse today. Um, manipulation is never at the center of a healthy relationship. Manipulation is getting someone else to do what we want. Here's the thing and why we're talking about it in the message. Satan has somehow convinced us that we can manipulate God. We want to define our relationship with God on our terms. And so we say, God, I'll do this and you do that. If I give, you'll bless me. If I pray, you'll do what I want. If I serve enough, my child will come back to church. If I'm good Good things will happen to me. If I keep myself under control and don't do anything horribly heinous, you'll allow me to come into heaven when I die. God cannot be manipulated. When we set the terms for our relationship with God, we become God, and He becomes the servant. He will let us set the terms we will just never experience the life that he wants to have with us, the relationship that he wants to have with us. The one that Jesus described as life that is really life, abundant life, we'll never have that if we maintain control. Recognize that in the New Testament, the Pharisees tried to manipulate Jesus. They tried to play Jesus. They would try and trap him. They'd say, Jesus, is it right for a Jew to pay pay taxes? And what they were really saying is, oh, do you obey the government or do you stand for your people and obey God? Which, which is it? Um, they, tried to, they tried to play Jesus about about healing on the Sabbath. Oh, you can't, you've got to obey God. You can't heal people and help people. Um, you know, uh, let me go here just for a second. I, I, um, one of my daughters, when she was really, really young... Um, Parents, many of you have experienced this, I'm sure. It didn't matter what we said. She would have a response back to say, no, dad, but what about this? She would try and talk her way out of any kind of responsibility for anything that happened. Some of you are smiling. Um, You've had this conversation before. Um, I remember the time that I realized that we had to deal with that very directly, or she would grow up believing that she would eventually be able to talk God out of his decisions. That she would approach her relationship with God the way that she was approaching it with mom and dad. If I can just say the right thing, everything will be okay. If I can just justify my behavior this way. Some of us believe that when we die and experience the judgment, that scripture describes that we'll be able to justify our sin and that we'll be able to talk our way into God's good graces and ultimately into heaven. We'll talk about all the good things that we've done. We've talked, we'll we'll talk about the money that we gave. We'll talk about this, that, or whatever. It will not work that way. It's only by the goodness of Jesus, by his death for us, that we'll be justified in God's presence only by Jesus. God cannot be manipulated. Here's the whole point of my message this morning. Here's the whole point of the beginning of this Experiencing God series. Nothing else matters except being in relationship with God. Nothing else matters except being in relationship with God. The reason I asked those four questions that I did at the beginning of the message, do you believe that God deeply loves you today? Do you believe that God is actively working today? Do you believe that God has a specific desire for you, how you fit in his plan? Are you willing to give God control of your life or do you you wanna have or be in control? The reason I asked those questions is because those questions help clarify for me what you believe about God. And how you want to respond to him. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, his closest friends, on the night that he was betrayed, said this This is John 15, and this is where everything comes together I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them in the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my, word re, my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit, And prove to be my disciples. If you're driving in DeWitt today, any place that you drive in the city of DeWitt, um, there are branches that are out in people's front yards that have been cut down, that are ready to be taken away. Those branches have lost their life because they've been detached from the tree, they've been removed from the vine. For our lives to make sense, for our lives, to be right with god we 've got to be connected to Jesus in in these books, on the very last page there is there 's a memory verse for us for each week um, that you can tear out and take with you wherever you want to go this This is this, is this week 's memory verse, and when we were talking to the preaching team, I said okay do we, do we commit?" Message time to memorize in scripture like your little guys in Sunday school and you get gold stars. Um, I don't have enough gold stars, but I wanna spend some time on this. Here is the heart of today's message, the heart of this week's um, uh, lesson, the, the heart of what you're grappling with. It's John fifteen five that says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. Say that with me, would you? I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. Say it again. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. Figure out whatever picture you need in your mind for this memory verse. I'm the vine, you're the branches, the disconnect. You've got to remain in me. He who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. When there's that connection, the grapevine just goes crazy. Because you can do nothing without me. That's what it's about. That's the starting place. For experiencing God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I I thank you for uh, giving us minds that can um, process, that can reflect. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us see ourselves as we really are, that you'd help us come to understand what we really believe and how we're really living it out. And God, my deepest prayer is that you would draw us to you, that we would be connected to the vine um, and that we would produce much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray.